artificial intelligence is at the tip of basically everyone's tongue these days in the media world. With advancements into generative AI that use predictive text to craft essays, articles, stories, and some truly odd poetry, if we're being honest, the age-old question arises. Is this a new tool? Is it an overhyped party trick? Is this an existential threat to the way that we relate to human creativity and production? I'm Jennifer Smith, and this is The Codcast, Commonwealth Beacon's podcast about policy and civic life here in Massachusetts. And today we're talking about the technological elephant in the room. I'm joined by Sarah Skiri, the deputy editor of the Neiman Journalism Lab, to think about what AI means for us as journalists and news consumers alike. Harvard's Neiman Lab has been following the rise of AI in journalism for some time now, as newsrooms sort of prod the technology while also trying to craft ethical and legal frameworks for its use, which can look a little bit from the outside like an industry trying to build a plane while flying it. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this very tangled issue. Very happy to. So when did you personally first run into what we now think about as generative AI, and what did it look like? It's a good question. I think about a year ago when ChatGPT was released, we first started um, thinking about it deeply. Um, but even before then, you know, the um, lead AI, LEDE AI, um, had been working to do with sports uh, stories, local sports stories. Um, and that had been around, that, that technology has been around for years. So that was back in 2019 when we were getting stories like, you know, the Worthington Christian winning team mascot defeated this other losing team mascot. We've seen generative AI um, being used in some of these local sports stories for a while now, but the real hype has started when ChatGPT was released about a year ago by OpenAI. So how would you describe basically the kind of AI that we see popping into journalism spaces right now? I think a lot of people are familiar with kind of the concept of ChatGPT or essentially kind of a predictive text bot, essentially. Um, so is that what we're talking about when we're saying the sorts of things that can generate articles, for instance? Yeah, I think I think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about large language models. Um, AI, generative AI is popping up in lots of um, behind the scenes ways. I don't know, Jennifer, if you do this, but I use um, AI to transcribe my interviews. I ask my um, notes questions through Notion about whether or not something came up in a conversation I had. So those are ways that are less public facing, but that are still being used by journalists. We've also seen some, for example, some hyper local outlets use AI to attend public meetings and then take notes and then have a journalist who might be busy covering a whole town just by herself be able to interrogate those those notes instead of having to sit in the public meeting herself for six hours. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because this might sound a little bit arch, but I don't mean it that way. You know, I am, I suppose, a, a mid-millennial who grew up in Silicon Valley. So the concept of sort of assistive technology, especially in creative spaces, doesn't feel terribly space age to me. You know, predictive software could be as simple as when the little uh, Hey Clippy assistant would show up in the corner of a Word doc and say, hey, it looks like you're writing about this subject. Do you need me to find you additional sources? Uh, early dictation software of into the version that you talked about here, where it can both transcribe, but then also maybe compose summaries along the side. Um, grammatical autocorrect at some level works because of how we know sentences flow. So when you're thinking about what this is that sets it apart from kind of tool that we've already seen a lot, which is saying, hey, we know how writing works generally. Uh, we have the technology to be in multiple places at once now, thanks to the internet. What is it that maybe pushes AI into something a little bit more of a hair-pulling space? 
a hair pulling space. Um, I think I think the scale of it is one thing. I mean, this interface, I think, used to be very clumsy and hard to navigate for most people. And I think that includes most journalists. Um, you know, it's now not reserved just for folks who can code or have have an understanding of um, how to build their own large language model or how to build their own AI. This is trained on just the entire Internet <laughs> and it's available just by going to, you know, your, your URL and it makes it very accessible in that way. Um, we are seeing some sites like, you know, investing.com semaphore, uh, the news startup semaphore just reported on this, but they're using it to uh, basically plagiarize other um, competitors. So a few hours after a story shows up about financial news um, on a, one of their competing sites, it'll appear on vesting.com um, with, you know, tweaks and um, new headlines and such. So I think those are the types of things that are setting it apart is the scale and then just the very different type of interface that these models are giving people access to. And there are risks to using AI that I think are pretty familiar at this point to most of us who have tried any of these kind of chat models here. So it's advancing fast, but you can't actually kind of just wind it up and let it go just yet, uh, especially in a journalistic space, because these softwares often create what are called hallucinations. So basically lies, things that don't exist, because the chatbot is trying to kind of predict helpful responses in text. It's trained on, on the universe of the internet. So what we've seen, for instance, is it could tell you that a book or a legal case exists when it doesn't. Some lawyers have gotten into trouble on that. I'm sure journalists are going to as well. So how are you thinking about kind of the need for a human hand in even just checking the AI process here? It's one thing if it's summarizing a meeting note, but it's another thing if you're saying, hey, research X for me. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The human hand is the most important part of this AI-assisted journalism. Um, you know, there are some quarters of the news industry that are very anti-AI. Um, I don't think in Neiman Lab that we think of it as being 100% bad. There's many ways it can be super useful for journalists, especially resource-strapped journalists um, who are dealing with newsrooms who are having layoffs or redistributing their resources within the newsroom. Um, you know, one thing that I think is insidious about the way that these models can hallucinate is that they do something called creating like a plausible looking um, source. So, you know, I have experimented with this a little bit. Um, and I know journalists at Wired have also done this, um, asking, for example, about police brutality cases can render a list of sources that look plausible. So that'll say like the Baltimore um, Sun, it'll say the New York Times, it'll say the LA Times. But then when you go and click the link that they provide to you, get a 404, you get an error code. So going, having that human who's willing to go and click on those actual links and double check, I think is the most essential part of this AI-assisted journalism. Um, without it, I think that you're getting something that looks plausible, but that often does not have any basis in reality or accuracy. And you wrote a story kind of about what readers are expecting from AI as well, because I think at this point, the the sorts of risks are widely enough discussed that there's a certain amount of skepticism about it. So they want us to label it, but then they also don't really trust AI-generated content as much when it's labeled. So so can you kind of break us down what you were looking at and uh, and also what you found to be the most interesting takeaways? Yeah, definitely. I think this is a really interesting study. It is it is a working paper, meaning it's a preprint um, and hasn't been peer reviewed yet. But these are two um, scholars who do incredible work. And it's one of the first experiments to to examine audience perceptions of AI generated news rather than just um, sort of how people feel about algorithms and um, choosing news articles for us 
And one of the key findings is that, yes, they found that an overwhelming majority of people would like news organizations to alert them when they're reading something that was not written by a journalist, a human journalist, but by AI. Something like more than 80% of people said that. Um, and then among those who did say that, 78% said that they wanted a note describing exactly how AI was used. So like you're saying, if it's a transcript, if it's something a little bit more total, like this AI did all the research and did the writing and published it. Readers really would like to know that. That said, you know, they found a paradox there, which is that even as readers said that they wanted to know when an AI was um, involved in the news gathering, they punished news publishers specifically for um, using AI. So this is super interesting because they didn't label any of the content less accurate or more biased, but they really held it against the publishers themselves. And they said they are less likely to trust these news brands or these news outlets who are using AI. That is so interesting. It reminds me a little bit of the way that we discussed uh, native advertising for many years. So so for people that, that aren't familiar with this, this is basically text that might look like a news story or opinion piece, but it's actually a paid advertisement that's sort of simulating the way that we're used to seeing news articles look. And the journalism industry struggled with it for many years and still really kind of does with whether to allow it at all or how to label that because... The issue, right, is that journalism is built on trust and readers are inclined often to trust something that looks like, big air quotes, not really great for a podcast, uh, news writing. So so are you seeing kind of parallels in the ethical framework for the way that we kind of talk about both tools and also where we're getting our information and publishing it? Yeah, totally, Jennifer. I think the big thing there, too, is that some of the high quality publishers who are most likely to disclose when they're using AI are going to feel the brunt of this uh, judgment from readers, while maybe some of these low quality uh, sites or pieces of reporting that don't disclose that they're being AI generated won't have that same judgment against them. So I do think like sponsor content where um, we see organizations that are mainstream and really held to ethical guidelines will disclose it. Some random other site on the internet won't disclose that this is some sort of um, paid advertisement um, masquerading as journalistic content. I think the other thing there, too, is that these, these articles that showed their work, so these articles that showed where they got their sources from, they were able to reduce the bias against them from the audiences. So um, the negative effects about trustworthiness were counteracted when the articles actually said, hey, this is where I got this news from. So it's from the Daily Mail. It's from the New York Times. It's from CNN. It's from MSNBC. It's from Fox News. Here are all the different places I'm pulling my information from. Interesting. So there's a few places to go from there, uh, one of which is talking about sort of AI broadly and sort of the creative spark that is at the core of a lot of journalistic enterprise, but also just kind of creative writing, that sort of thing. I I've talked about AI on this podcast before in early 2023 with Professor Nir Esakovich at UMass Boston, and he described a danger of relying on AI for that sort of first creative spark step. You know, it might seem easy to say, hey, chat GPT, give me a list of ideas for articles or books or a first draft of an email. But that sort of use can lead to, as he put it, the erosion of small moral choices, essentially that we get worse at the very things that generate the ideas that then AI can be trained to replicate that kind of essential human spark. So I'm curious about how you think about 
the sort of basic incentives, the reasons that people get into journalism, this uh, kind of I'd like to go out and find a story element and how AI is kind of a creative prompt uh, can affect sort of that news gathering initial instinct. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to think about it. You know, one thing that comes up, I used to do work in public records. Um, one of the things that comes up is that a lot of this information that's public is siloed. It's in state, federal databases, it's in local municipal databases, it's in different uh, types of spreadsheets that don't talk to each other very well. And I do think that AI can be really good at identifying some patterns um, among those large data sets. That said, that context and putting that into um, something that's legible and meaningful in terms of a journalism story or journalistic story is really relies on, you know, human, real life human journalists, good old human journalists. One thing that stands out, too, is is that, for example, if you're thinking about, you know, no bid contracts or um, maybe some a bias toward a family member who's getting uh, grants from the government. You know, those are not always understandable. Um, the not everyone has the same last name. It might be a brother-in-law who's getting these no big contracts or um, a wife who's doing it under in, an LLC. But if a local journalist sort of can parse that and make those connections themselves after it's been flagged by, by AI, I think that can be super useful. So I, I do think it can serve as the creative spark but again, it does need a sort of human to go through and parse that information and put it in a context um, to make it understandable and meaningful for, for most readers. I'd love to get into a few of these Neiman Lab predictions for the year that have specifically dealt with the concept of AI. But I think uh, first we should probably talk about the Sports Illustrated situation, um, because that might be why people are thinking about AI and journalism right now. And so as a quick primer, science and tech news uh, site Futurism said it discovered that the Sports Illustrated company was using AI-generated content and author headshots as well in author bios without disclosing it to readers. And uh, to be honest, the details on this have been kind of wild. Uh, the author's names and bios weren't for real people doing real reporting. And then apparently when reporters asked about it, those bios whoosh, vanished from the site. Um, the CEO of the publisher of Sports Illustrated has since uh, been let go, I think was announced a day or so ago. So Broadly, Sarah, what did this episode tell you? Kind of what did it flag? And then what was an example of, well, you're using the AI badly as opposed to it being inherently an AI problem? Yeah, I think I think the two things there are exactly what that study um, showed, which is that folks don't like it when when they're reading something and it turns out that it's not and that they're being lied to. And that has ramifications both for individual um, news publications, but also trust in journalism in a broader sense. So I think that's where some of the outrage was really located was the, the lack of disclosure and frankly, the lies that came um, immediately afterwards where um, Sports Illustrated tried to say that these weren't AI generated. They were just, you know, they were using pseudonyms for the journalists. Yeah, I, I think that this is pretty common to be totally frank in some of these news organizations that even well-known ones like Sports Illustrated that really rely on search engine traffic in ad revenue, um, think about like Wirecutter, Wirecutter, which has a affiliate revenue model. So if you're trying to look for the best, um, you know, mountain bike for your son, or you're trying to look for the best blender, this is something that news organizations, um, including Sports Illustrated, which was recommending sports um, equipment, 
if you they recommend something and you click on it, they get a, a part of that, um, of those proceeds. And I think we're seeing that more and more in the AI space um, where it's clear that these recommendations are not being made in the sense that we're trying to help our readers find the best thing possible. Um, we're actually just trying to gin up as much revenue as possible um, by publishing as many recommendations as possible for folks who are using search engines to buy new things. And you mentioned earlier kind of the the sorts of news organizations that might benefit the most from using uh, AI and I think what we'd, we'd consider, you know, a less sketchy way than, than not disclosing if they're basically recommending products, which is, you know, very small newsrooms where they're very strapped. This could be anything from, uh, again, as you mentioned, using kind of AI transcription software pointed at a public meeting to say, hey, I can't make it, but what did people talk about? But then also... How else have you been interested in seeing AI-generated articles be used in a way that might be responsible? Is there a way to use AI-generated articles in a way that's responsible as opposed to AI-advanced tech? Yeah, I think I think that the problem with these AI-generated articles is that the writing is bad and the reporting isn't accurate. And those are two... Those are the two big ones. <laughs> And those are two pretty critical things for journalists and for journalism. And, and a lot of folks who are um, interested in the future of journalism don't think that this is necessarily the best way long term to gain success, um, especially as we see the rise of you know subscription models. So, so ones that rely not on ads and ad clicks, um, but on folks believing that this is a reliable spot to get news and um, excellent writing. So I, I do think until... AI can, basically, I think we're a far way away from AI being able to write better than humans, because the content right now is dull, it's unoriginal, and it's more often than not wrong in ways that can be hard to detect both for the journalists who are using the technology and for um, the readers themselves. One thing that struck me about the Sports Illustrated situation, of course, is that the folks who noticed this were journalists in other places, a very who's watching the Watchmen situation. So so how have you been thinking about journalism internally policing itself as an industry in kind of responsible use of AI and then sort of the oddness of then different organizations kind of needing to look at the way that other organizations are using these products because when you are in a place right now where trust in media is is on the decline and, and pretty low, it does seem like there are higher stakes for trying to kind of keep an eye on your neighbors and make sure that they're operating at strong ethical levels. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, this it was not trust and safety teams at these various platforms or OpenAI who exposed these misleading bylines or you know, these practices that approach plagiarism or, or straight false stories. Um, and those teams at these platforms were not preventing them either, right? It's been the good old human journalists who have identified them, who have flagged the unethical publishing practices, um, sometimes from within their own publisher or sometimes by um, flagging it for, for other ones like Futurism, which has just done an incredible job tracking these um, across the industry. So I think that that's something that we're seeing uh, be incredibly important. It sort of dovetails with, I know that you, this came up when you spoke um, with the Massachusetts AFL-CIO um, representative, but a lot of labor negotiations in newsrooms right now are talking about carving out what AI cannot do in their newsroom. So 
Um, I know this has come up at WBUR specifically in recent months, but it's come up many other places too, is what are we going to let AI do for us? Um, and what are we going to make sure that we don't give it control over? And that has implications both for the trust that readers feel about the news brands, but also about the ways that journalists who are in these newsrooms can feel toward their employers, that they won't be replaced um, by a very cheap robot, basically. So I've been really enjoying the 2024 predictions in journalism that Neiman has been kind of putting out uh, over over the past month or so. One of the big ones for me was uh, Rodney Gibbs' article talking about how essentially it's it's putting news organizations in a weird space to say that we're going to opt out from kind of trying to use AI at all, like especially for small newsrooms, the news business is generally in trouble and this is a tool that it would be a little bit suspect to just say, I'm not going to touch it. So so how does that sort of strike you? Is there a way for uh, newsrooms to say, I'd like to act as though AI isn't coming or here? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I think that's important to note for, for listeners and, and for readers that, that it is here. You know, this is a prediction series. And some people like to think that AI-generated content, AI-generated journalism is in the future, but it's not. It's it's right now. And when you use Google to look for information, you are seeing um, stories that were made with AI, um, assisted with AI. In terms of the what's sort of coming next, I do think that we're going to see a lot of publishers distinguish their um, journalism by saying it's human-made, which sounds <laughs> dystopian, but... Um, even the New York Times, when I was, um, I interviewed them not that long ago about their new game connections. Um, and that was something that their games unit really wanted to focus on was that each puzzle is made by a human and made by a human at the New York Times. Um, and they think that that's a real distinguishing factor for them right now. Um, and I think that as Rodney Gibbs wrote, and I think a couple of other predictions have also said that that's going to be continue to be important for news organizations to emphasize that their stuff is not assisted by AI or generated by AI, but by humans who know the on the ground reporting situation and who care about what you, their reader, um, think and want. So I think that's going to be a prediction that we'll probably see come true sooner than we realize. I, I do want to give just like the quickest of hat tips to um, a number of predictions that dealt with the question of essentially the quality that we're thinking about, kind of to your point that this writing is inaccurate, which is a, a big problem. Um, so some of the predictions were basically saying that there will be an essential requirement for this AI to get more accurate or else people are just not going to see the point of using it. There's not going to be government function or journalistic function to using something that's wrong 90% of the time. But so there's the combination of it has to improve not just kind of on the factual basis, but then also just kind of getting less bleh in its in its writing style. So are you hoping to see any kind of particular improvement? Or are you hoping to see, I, I guess this is a little bit loaded, but um, to what extent is improvement in AI um, a good thing, or is there something to the idea of it kind of maxes out at a certain capacity and continues to make the case for uh, human writers as having that particular verve in their writing and their fact-checking? Yeah, I think that there's two parts of that question. I, I think that the fact-checking, I do think it would be a great thing if it got a lot better at it. Um, right now, I think that the plausibility of some of its wrongness, I think, can be really detrimental to 
um, journalists who are trying to do research and who are trying to fact check something um, quickly. Um, in terms of the writing thing, I personally do not think that it's going to catch up um, anytime soon. Um, I do think that because it's using predictive text, a lot of what it generates is unoriginal and um, stuff that we've seen not just a couple times before, but but many times before, because it is using the way that these models work is they're using large parts of the internet um, to make guesses of what words should come next in the sequence. So I think that it would be great for journalism if these models could get much better at specifically citing sources that are accurate um, so that readers and uh, news reporters can go back and double check and make sure that what they're saying and what they're pulling from is correct. Well, there was uh, one last prediction that I wanted to touch on, which is basically talking about the increased risk of AI's gatekeeping function here. When you're talking about synthesis, for instance, uh, the person doing the summarizing or the robot doing the summarizing can tend to have the power here. And we talk a lot about the ways that tech bias can then impact uh, policy, can impact choices further down the road. For instance, if a computer doesn't recognize black faces, there are unforeseen consequences of that down the road if your AI models don't recognize certain things as important or relevant. Uh, journalists might not then have the time, especially if they're strapped, to go back and kind of check those assumptions. So last question for you, AI as gatekeepers, how do we feel about that? Yeah, I think this is an interesting um, question just because I think the shortcut that AI presents is always also going to present a gatekeeping problem where it's always going to be better to find, to go back and do it yourself. So it's going to be a trade-off between what journalists feel they have the time to do and what journalists who are operating in the media environment of 2023 are able to do based on the, the way that their employers um, require them to do their work. So I think that the idea that this came up in, in the study too, that there's an idea that a lot of humans tend to um, think that I have um, believed in my life too, is that, oh, a machine must be a little bit better than humans because it must be less biased. There's a machine-like um, efficiency that we attribute to some of these robots and some of these um, these models, but that's just not accurate. They're, they're based on information that um, we feed them and they're just as biased um, as you or I or, or anybody else too. So um, in terms of gatekeeping, I, I do think that it's an issue that we'll see journalists and others who are using these AI models grapple with in the future. Thanks again to Sarah Skiri, deputy editor of the Neiman Journalism Lab, for taking the time to talk with me today about this possibly robot Godzilla barreling toward the journalism's Tokyo here. I'm Jennifer Smith. Our producer is John Gee. Leave a rating and review wherever you're hearing us now if you want to help other folks find us. And email podcast at commonwealthbeacon.org if you ever want to get in touch directly. We will be back in your ears next week. Enjoy the start of your holiday. Mm-hmm.